one of the one of the things we celebrate and enjoy around the Christmas season is family and being together with family. And that's what I want us to focus our hearts and minds on this morning because it too is centered around Jesus. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Over the weeks through this fall at various times we've been looking at the truth of community not, as a, not just as a truth that we need to understand but as the focus of our uh, mission as a church, our focus for the future of our starting with our communion with God. You'll remember that we have been reconciled into communion with God. Aren't you glad that that's what Christmas is about? That's that God came to this earth to reconcile us back into a relationship with him. Because of Christmas, as we saw last week, because of Christmas, we get to have communion with God. We're going to celebrate communion tonight, and I hope that you'll be here with us as we do, because that sense of communion is a reminder that we have been brought into communion with God through the person of Jesus Christ, not because we're members of this church, not because we hold true doctrine as we seek to, not because we live a holy life as we seek to, but because through Jesus Christ, through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have been brought into relationship with him. And that fellowship, that communion begins to affect. It affects how we are in community together as a church. It affects how we interact with our community, those around us. Today, as we really have been sort of moving through the book of Ephesians, not necessarily intentionally, but perhaps guided by the Spirit in this, we come to this portion of the book of Ephesians, the last half of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, that talks about the gospel-centered community within the family. And I want you to see some principles this morning that I believe are important. What better time of the year for us to examine what it looks like for our families to be focused on Christ. Uh, we, we take such steps. We try. We really, I'm going, I'm going to just have to be, be transparent about this. This time of the year gets so busy, it's hard to keep our hearts and minds on Christ. And many times with the pressure to keep our minds and hearts on Christ, we add another layer of pressure that becomes a distraction in itself. But to focus that and to, to help point our families toward Christ, I remember a, an acquaintance of mine one time saying, we're really trying to keep Jesus the center of the season this year. And, you know, we've been given so many presents and we were afraid our kids were getting too focused on the presents. So this year we're only going to give them three presents in honor of the three wise men. I thought, you know, boy, that is such a noble effort. That really is keeping the focus on Jesus. We try. We really do. But for Jesus to be the center, for Jesus to be the center of our homes and our family, I believe we live in a time, uh, the, the word unprecedented is used <laughs> in an unprecedentedly ambiguous way in our day, but um, I, I hate to say it's unprecedented, but the, the, the tools that Satan is using to attack our marriages and our children and our families is different than it's ever been before. He has always attacked the family. But what he is doing in this day and time is different. The, the tools and the, the availability that we have of things in, in our day is unlike anything that's been experienced before. And as we think about that, what better time of the year for us if we value our families for us to think about a gospel-centered, Christ-focused family. 
That as we gather around the the tree and the presence and the table this Christmas season, that our hearts and minds are not on the things that are before us, but on the person that those things point us to. That we celebrate the gifts because of the gift. That we celebrate the provisions because of the provider. That we celebrate the family because of the Father who gave us all the blessings that we get to enjoy. So I want you to see a few truths this morning. These are not, we're not going to go verse by verse because there's a lot of material relating to families, but I want you to see a theme that runs through this of the spiritual nature of what we are engaging in. The first thing that I want you to notice is a familiar verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. In these kind of families, if our family is Christ-focused and gospel-centered, we need spirit-filled family members. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. He's going to go from there, and he's going to talk about all the different relations, but he's going to talk about husbands and how we treat our wives. He's going to talk about wives and how they respond to their husbands. He's going to talk about parents and their children and children and their parents and all of these family relationships. This is not by accident. This is not disconnected. This is the natural outflow of our communion with God in which we are filled with the Spirit that we then begin to adjust how we act toward our family. And those that are closest to us are the first ones we encounter. You see, if a person is filled with the Spirit or not filled with the Spirit, the first people who are going to recognize it are those closest to them. You can come to church and you can act in such a way that everybody around you will say, boy, they were really, boy, they're a spiritual person. They love God. They are truly filled with the Spirit. But I'll guarantee you within five minutes of getting in your vehicle and going home, your family knows for sure whether you're filled with the Spirit or not. Now, that's a good place to say amen, but I suspect most of us are a little timid about saying amen because we know it's true. And we know that our families are going to be watching us when we get out five minutes Fortunately, I'm driving separately from Lynn this morning, so God gives us our children for our own sanctification, but sometimes they will test our sanctification. God gives us our spouses for mutual sanctification between each other, but sometimes our spouse will test our sanctification. They will test whether we are truly filled with the Spirit. So for us in the family relationship, there must be Spirit-filled family members. Now, well... Preacher, what if, what if I'm the only member of my family um, that's seeking to be spirit-filled? Now, sometimes that's because you may be the only believer in your family that has the Holy Spirit indwelling you to fill you. Sometimes it may be because you've got an overinflated sense of your self-importance that you think you're the only one filled with the Spirit. You may be the only one that's not filled with the Spirit, and the rest of the crowd may be able to tell it, and you don't. But to be the only one, what if, what if I'm the only one in my family that's a believer? then be filled with the Spirit. Don't underestimate the power of what the Holy Spirit can do in your family through one person that's filled. The power of the Spirit can, do, can radically transform a family through one individual that says, I'll be filled with the Spirit. So it doesn't matter if your husband's not filled or your wife's not filled or your kids aren't or your parents aren't or whoever else is. The command is for us as individuals to be filled with the Spirit because the interaction then between spouses and between parents and children and other family members, and let me tell you something, you and I both know, we all know that in about six days, your spirit-filledness is going to be tested. 
you're going to sit down to the table with family members that you haven't seen in a while. And once you get past the food and you start getting into that conversation, you're going to remember why you haven't seen them in a while. (laughs) And no matter how hard you try, somebody's going to say something that's going to test whether you're filled with the Spirit or not. My family sometimes has some interesting debates and conversations. Sometimes we just like to debate just for the fun of it. Not my immediate family, but my brother, my dad. And I remember one year, Lynn was sitting at the table that year. It was Thanksgiving or Christmas. And we, sent, we sat there and debated and discussed for 45 minutes whether Kit Carson, the mountain man, ever ate mountain lion. <laughs> now, you would think three preachers sitting at the same table would have some deep theological discussions. We walked away fine. We weren't, we we're fine. We're not mad at each other. But you know, isn't it interesting that the, the little things that can stir us up and our families test that? We must be filled with the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? It means to be where the Holy Spirit is in complete control of my life. Where I take my hands off the wheel of my life and I move from the driver's seat and I say to the Holy Spirit, you are in control now. My will, my desires, my agenda, my motives, my plans, they are all sacrificed and surrendered. God, I want your will to be my will. I want your plan to be my plan. I want your agenda for my day to be my agenda. I want what you want for me. Now, I will say that when you start praying that prayer, God will begin to bring things out in you that you didn't know were there. But they are the things that keep you from being filled. When I was a kid, my dad, one of the first things, because we traveled and we didn't have, want to have to stop every couple hours and fill up with gas. If we stopped and filled up our motorhome with gas or the large vehicle where we pulled a trailer as we traveled, um, we wanted to make sure we got every drop of gas in the tank we could get. And I remember when he was teaching me to pump gas and I was four or five years old. I wasn't quite that young, but he started us pretty early because he wanted us to be able to do it. And so we would fill up with gas, and that thing would click off, and I'd be like, oh, it's okay, it's full. And he said, no, it's not full yet. He said, you sit there and listen a minute. And sure enough, you'd hear a little bit of air coming up out of the tank. He said, I'll put some more in it. Put some more in it, thing clicked. Oh, it's done, it's full. No, wait some more. And what we had to do was, As that tank began to fill, the air that was in there, the pockets of air, would begin to come up so that we could truly fill that tank. And let me tell you that as God begins to fill you with his Holy Spirit, you will be made aware of things in your life that you weren't aware were even there, but they are keeping you from being completely filled with the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit. That one little area that you said, God, I'm surrendering all to you. And that one area that you were holding on to, that you said, God, Not yet. Maybe you are even hiding it from yourself, but God makes you aware of it. And that will show up in your family. Your kids may bring it out. Your spouse may bring it out. Your parents, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts. The family may bring it out, but that's God showing you this is something in your life where you need to surrender this area of your life. For us to have gospel-centered community in our families, we must be filled with the Spirit. But in addition to our family members brothers, sisters, uncles, and aunts. We also need to have, I believe what this tells us, is a spiritual support system. Do you notice what he says next? He starts talking about the interaction between believers, those around us, those who are a part of the body of Christ. Several years ago, some years back, a 
well-known politician used the um, and it's dis- highly disregarded in some, in some circles, in some realms, used the phrase, it takes a village. And, of course, there's concern because how, who defines what that village is and how much influence they have sort of can cause concern in our hearts. And I believe it's biblical for parents to have the authority of their children's lives, and they're the ones that make the choices. So I would disagree with somewhat about what the village is, but do you know that that's a biblical principle? That while it is the parents' responsibility for the spiritual welfare and well-being of their children and their families, that it's not just the family, but there are other believers around the church who are a part of this. You see, in a church family, in a church body like ours and like really any other church, there are those who may not have their, their physical family with them. Their spouse may not be there. Maybe they don't have a spouse, or maybe their spouse has passed, or maybe their spouse is an unbeliever. They don't have their children. Maybe their children have grown up. Maybe their children have grown up, and their grandchildren, and they're moved away, and they feel like, I don't have family with me, so this doesn't really speak to me. Let me tell you that it takes every part of the body, every member of the body to invest, to stand with, to pour into our students and our children and our families. Let me say that often the church has conveyed, maybe unintentionally, the idea that if you are not married, then you are sort of a second-class citizen. But the Bible talks about those who are celibate, and it even says in Isaiah chapter 63 that those who are without children will be blessed with more spiritual children than those who have physical children. What is the point of that? That there is equal value in those who are celibate and in those who are married. And there's great value and there's great blessing. Why? Because it is a necessary part of the body of Christ that we are not all alike and we are not all in the same situation. But God uses us as spirit-filled individuals to stand together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to stand together with the families in our church, to pray for them and to encourage them and to be that strength and support that they desperately need. Let me tell you that there's a couple that's going through hard times. They need to have godly friends around them who will speak the truth of Scripture to them. There are times when there are parents who need encouragement and they need prayer and they need a single friend to come up alongside of them and say, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to help you in any way that I can. There are those who have gone through specific situations of life and they've been through experiences that's given them insights that you and I may never have, and God brings them alongside of us, and it is the body strengthening itself. There's value in that. Don't ever feel like you are of no value simply because you don't match how someone else has a family structure. But God brings us together to be a part of the same body of Christ, and for a family to be strengthened, there are times when the physical earthly family will not stand up spiritually. And God brings along spiritually surrogate parents to stand in the place and be parents in the faith. An illustration of this from Scripture is young Timothy. Timothy's mother was a godly woman that taught him the Scriptures, and the Scriptures made him wise to salvation. And his grandmother was a godly woman who had taught his mother, but his father was an unbeliever. And so the Apostle Paul became a spiritual father in the place of an earthly father 
not to take the place of that earthly father, but to do what that earthly father, that responsibility that he was not holding up. It was his responsibility to teach his son in the faith, but he wasn't doing that. So Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy. He says, I am your, you are my son in the faith. That was not merely that he had led Timothy to the Lord, but it was that he was pouring into his life, and he was investing in him, and he was teaching him. And what a value there is for us to be part of a church family where there are those who are older and those who are younger. Let's not buy into the idea that we can only spiritually benefit or be friends with or have relationship and friends and connections with those who are of our same age demographic. But it is so valuable and so important for our younger generation to receive from the older generation and our older generation to be reminded of some things from our younger generation, and for us as the body strengthens itself together, to have that spiritual support system. I suspect most of us are sitting here this morning and you know of someone that's exactly what I'm talking about. They either invested in you or you have the opportunity to pour into their life. You have the opportunity to encourage them. You say, well, I I would never be able to preach a sermon or teach a class. No, but God can use you, spirit-filled believer, to meet a deep emotional and relational and spiritual need of a brother, sister in Christ. The spiritual support system. But then we come to the last chapter of this book. And this kind of family that I'm talking about needs spiritual warriors. Spiritual warriors, you know this passage. You've heard it preached, you've heard it taught, we've read it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Why do we need this armor? Why are we to gird up for the battle? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Our families, our marriages... Our children, our students are facing the wiles and deceptions of the devil like we never faced. Just since I began in the last two or three weeks to prepare for this sermon, been to pray over it and think through it, and God, give me what I need to say. I've had multiple conversations with individuals and with families and with people to see, look, this is what, this is the attack that has taken place in our family. Let me tell you about this family member of mine, Pastor. I'm I'm really concerned and I'm praying for this nephew or I'm really concerned I'm praying about for this person or this this Christian that used to be in the church and they've drifted away and I'm seeing the attacks on the, the minds of our students, the anxiety and the depression that this generation is experiencing that is escalating like never before and the attack on the truth that they've been taught, of the undermining of their faith, and those voices that are speaking out against them. And I'm seeing our marriages, and there's so many wiles of the devil. That's not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. But aren't you glad for what the Word of God says, that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God has not put us in a battle that we cannot win. He has equipped us with the weaponry and with the armor that we need to win the battle. That's exactly what he begins to describe. Put on the whole armor of God. 
Look back in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where our battle is. Our battle is not with people. Our battle is not with entertainers that are promoting a lifestyle. Our battle is not with politicians that are promoting policies and laws that are contrary to the word of God and are literally undermining the structure of the family. They're not our enemies. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the principalities and the powers and the darkness of this world. And so how do we fight them? How do we go into battle? We put on the armor of God. And then we pick up the weapon. We use the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God. Our greatest weapon in this battle, our greatest weapon for our marriages, the greatest weapon for our children, the greatest weapon for our families is not a, a good book from a Christian writer. And I, I encourage, I recommend books, and I try to put those in the hands of people. But let me tell you, a book by James Dobson is not what's going to save your family. And he would tell you the same thing. It's the truth of Scripture that he utilizes in it that will be the weapon that we use. And that's why our children's ministry, our student ministry, our, um, our family weekend that's coming up in just a few weekends, we're gonna, it will be the Word of God that will make a difference. That's our weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The biblical truth that fights. That's the battle that we're fighting. And then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance. Boy, the importance of perseverance. You're praying for someone, you're concerned about that marriage, you're concerned about that family member, you're concerned about that student, you're concerned about that situation, don't just pray. Pray with perseverance. Because many battles are not won quickly. Spiritual battles are often won by hard, arduous, perseverant prayer. That's what Paul is calling us to. To stand, to gather, to go to war for our families. To go to battle for our students. There are strong powers at work in this world. We are wrestling against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And this world is a dark, dark place. And we are fighting against them. How do we do that? Do we do it in our own strength? Do we do it in our own wisdom? No. We do it in the power of the Word of God, and we do it in the power of prayer, and we do it in the power of spirit-filled warriors who go to battle for our church and for our families. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. And that's exactly the, that's where our families are. That's where the attack is coming. That's where our children are. That's where our students are. I want to share an illustration this morning in closing. It's a visual illustration from nature. But it speaks exactly in the context of what I'm talking about this morning. Now, I want to say this beforehand. If you are disturbed by a visual of animals fighting, uh, there's nothing gory in this. There's nothing... Um, inappropriate in this, but I know that some people are sensitive about those things. Feel free to turn your head. I won't be offended. You'll hear me describing it and talking about it as, as we're watching it. But I want you to see this story. This is, a, this is a truth from nature that illustrates this biblical truth. Several years ago, about 15 years ago, there was a group of people taking a safari through a national park in the continent of Africa. They videoed this. Some of you may have seen this, and you may remember when it came out. But when I watched it, 
I said to myself and I said to Lynn, this is what the church is supposed to be. I want you to watch this with me if you will. You'll notice the water buffalo on the left side. You see three little humps on the right side. Those are lions. They've walked up on them completely unaware. They don't see what it is. Now they see what it is. You see the lions chasing. Notice which one they go after. It's a little blurry, but you can still see it. They go after the weak. They go after the young. Satan is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. What you can't hear, we've muted the voices because some of these people are speaking in other languages and I'm pretty sure some of them are saying words not appropriate for a service. Some of you may speak those languages and we're not really sure, so we're going to be real careful about that. But I'll tell you what some of them are saying. Some of them are saying it's too late. They've got him. One says, actually, I hope it's over quick. Now you'll notice that as they are wrestling with the, with the calf at the edge of the water, something else comes up. There's a crocodile in that water who also wants the calf. There are many powerful forces in this world that are seeking the weak. There's not just one crocodile in that water, there's actually two. You'll watch and you'll see them begin to have a tug of war over this young calf. They'll fight, there goes the second one. A little bit of tug of war and fighting. You'll hear the people, the observers, saying things like, she's gone, there's no chance, that's the end of it. The lions seem to win. Just remember this video the next time you think you are having a bad day. If the lions don't get you, the crocodile will. And if the first crocodile doesn't get you, the other one will. The lions pull the calf up on the, on the bank. And they're so busy thinking that they've won, there seems to be no hope. Again, the observers are saying things like, it's lost, it's over. Is there any chance at all? And the, and the guide says, no, there's no chance but notice what the lions don't see. Here comes the church. And when all hope seems to be gone, when as many times in the church we look at that child that has fallen, that student that has wandered away from their faith, and we say, boy, we hate to see that. It's too late. It's over. Watch what they do. They've not given up. They've not quit. They come around. Now, the smart line was that first one that ran away on his own. But they're going to chase them away, one after the other. They're not content with just one who will take off here in a second, run away. They're going to chase him, make sure that he goes. There's one. They've still got the calf down. Notice that they, there he goes. See, he takes off. That line's gone. There's still more to get, so he comes back. Notice that the herd's still gathered around. That's the pastor there, I think. I'm not quite sure. Maybe the youth pastor, Pastor Chai. That's the student pastor. They still have the lion. This is one of my favorite parts right here. They don't just scare the lions away. They get a little physical with it. Here comes one of the bulls. He's going to get right in there. That lion should have known better. He should have left with the first one. Don't you love this? I love, what I love to see as they gather around and they leave, he, they're chasing him off. Now, as they chase him off, they're going to come back in just a moment. Keep going, Mr. Lion. Who's the king of the jungle? We need to discuss that a little more. But they come back, and the lions hunker down. They're not letting go easily. And this is where one of them says, look, now you see, the, as they begin to fight for it, what is that calf doing? That calf realizes there's hope. And the calf begins to fight, and the calf begins to stand up. And those, 
that herd comes in and they break that calf loose and then you can't see it real well but they circle around him to protect that calf so those lions can't get him again. That's the end. It goes on a little further. It's actually several more minutes of them having fun chasing the lions away. But I want to tell you, church, that's supposed to be us. Not the observer standing back saying, man, I sure do hate to see when the devil gets that one. That family broke apart. Isn't that terrible? I hate to see that marriage fall apart. The devil got another one. Well, how terrible that is. They don't do that. They come alongside. They gather around and they fight away. They go to battle for these families. They go to battle for these students. And let me tell you that Satan is after the hearts and the minds and the souls of our students and our children. And what our children and our students and our family need is for the church to, as a body, gather around them and fight back against the power of the devil and the power of Satan that is attacking and that is at war. And we use it not in our own strength. Yes, God has given us strength, and he has given us those water buffalo. He gave them big horns, and they use what God has given them. But he's given to us the power of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit, to take up the armor of God, and to go to war for our families. And you see what can happen when we do that. And this doesn't matter whether it's your child or not. I'll guarantee you that nearly every one of those buffalo, that was not their calf. But it doesn't matter if they're part of our family or not. They're part of our herd. They may not be part of our physical family, but they're part of our church family. And church, we need to stand together and band together and get on our knees before God and gather around our brothers and sisters that are under the attack of Satan against principalities and powers and darkness and stand together and go to war for our families. Who do you know this morning? It may be part of your physical family or it may be somebody else that you know that is under the attack of Satan, a marriage that's about to split And they need someone to come alongside and say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to go to battle for you. Maybe it's a child that's drifted. Maybe maybe it's a student that you know that is that calf that's been taken down by Satan. And it seems like there's no hope. Let me tell you, as long as the Spirit of God is still in them and he's not until they're gone into heaven, as long as the Spirit of God is in them, there is hope for them to be restored. And we will go to war for them. We'll go to battle. Take up the whole armor of God. This morning as we have a moment of invitation, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to say, by God's grace, by God's grace, whether it's my family or the families around me or my friends around me or my marriage or the marriage around me, I'm not going to sit idly by and watch Satan win against them. I'm going to be the family of God and I'm going to stand with them. Would you bow your heads for prayer this morning? Maybe this morning you know someone that God's burdened your heart with as I've preached this, and you know a a couple or a family that Satan is attacking, and maybe this morning you need to come and just get on this altar and bring them to the Father. Maybe you need to, after you leave this service, call them or text them or go by and see them and say, I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. I love you. And I'm not going to sit by while Satan attacks your family. Maybe a mom or a dad or 
a mom and dad need to get their children and come and kneel at this altar or a husband and wife need to come and you've not prayed together in a long time and you need to come and kneel and pray together and say, by God's grace, we're going to stand for our marriage and our family and we're going to stand for others. Maybe they're singles, maybe they're seniors, that, senior citizens that your families are gone and you don't have your family here, but you want to come and you say, by God's grace, I'm going to be one of those that stands and goes to battle and a spiritual warrior for the families of our church. Whatever God may speak to your heart about this morning. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, I invite you to come. God, by your grace, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to give up on that child that's wondered. I'm not going to give up on that, that friend that's ready to split from their family. I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to come together. We're going to come as a family, and we're going to pray. We're going to stand and together, and we're going to gather with those that are under the attack of Satan. Church, may we never look at students from our church that may drift from God, that may drift from the faith and drift from church and simply say how sad it is. May we go to the Father on their behalf. May we fight the battle on their behalf. May we gather around them and love them and let them know that just because they have fallen, they are still a part of the family. They are still a part of this herd. And we're willing to do what it takes to bring them back. Are you a spirit-filled family member, mom, dad, child? Are you a spirit-filled grandparent? Are you part of the spiritual support system that will help brothers and sisters in need? Are you a spiritual warrior that'll put on the armor, that'll take up the sword, that'll kneel in prayer? Look, this is this is a time of war. We're in a battle. We used to sing a little chorus when I was a kid. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Let me tell you that when it comes to our families, we're, we're fighting against the, the wiles of the devil. And as we gather with our families and we celebrate and we bring our children around the Christmas tree or we gather around the table this Christmas, may it be a time of Christ-centeredness, a time of worship, time when we say that by God's grace from this point we're going to stand together we're going to uphold each other in prayer we're going to love each other we're going to be filled with the spirit we're going to be a gospel centered Christ exalting spirit filled family you're not going to be perfect God doesn't call us to be perfect he calls us to set priorities Father I pray this morning for these that have come for others that I know are carrying heavy burdens Satan is attacking families. He's attacking our students. He's attacking marriages. He's using the troubling circumstances of this life to try to drive wedges between the bonds that have been bound for eternity by you. Father, I pray that he will not be successful. But Lord, like, like in nature, a herd of buffalo, may the church band together and come around those that are under attack and say, we're going to stand with you. And if Satan's going to get you, he's going to have to come through all of us. 
Father, I pray that you'll give us a heart of love for each other, a burden to pray. May we encourage each other in the days ahead. May we stand together. May we pray together. May we fight together. Thank you that the victory was won at Calvary and that the war and the battle we are fighting in is not up in the air about how it's going to turn out. But through Jesus Christ, we have victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We thank you for that, and we thank you for Jesus. As we celebrate him this week, may we grow strong in him. May our faith be deepened. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.